0: On this episode of This Week in Linux, Ubuntu and Google team up to bring Flutter apps to Linux. We've got a lot of news in the mobile Linux world with a new, more powerful Pine phone from Pine64 that even comes with a USB Convergence Dock. Then we'll talk about Mobian, a mobile OS based on Debian. And then we've even got some news from Gentoo in the mobile world about using Gentoo on Android we'll get to more details later on about that one we've got some great distro news this week from Endeavor OS and also MX Linux and then we'll jump into the app news realm to cover the personal edition branding that came out for LibreOffice or is coming out for LibreOffice Riot has chosen the new name for their their application for their chat of the matrix chat client and it's now going to be called Element we'll talk about why that's good and bad We'll talk about even more branding stuff for some news related to a fork of the Brave browser because there's some things about whether they're getting legal threatened or whatever. It's a little more complicated than that, but we'll talk about that later. And then I'll also let you know about something that I think it should be concerning because Bounty Source is doing something that may make projects consider abandoning the service. So we'll talk about that as well. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Destination Linux Network, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. A first in the show this week is some great news from Ubuntu related to Google and Ubuntu bringing Flutter apps to Linux. So this is really good because of the momentum that Flutter is building right now. A lot of momentum. So let's talk about what Flutter is for those who may not be aware. Flutter is a platform agnostic UI framework and software development kit or SDK. It's Google's alternative to Facebook's React Native and Microsoft's MAUI, which is another issue we've talked about previously where Maui already existed in the Linux space for exactly the same thing that Microsoft is claiming they're making it for. And it's a, it's definitely a stolen uh, branding issue. Anyway, if you want to check that out, uh, uh, there's another episode where we talked about that. Uh, link in the description. Uh, also, uh, it's the official UI toolkit for Fuchsia, the uh, Google's forthcoming... New operating system to replace Android, so Flutter is a very important piece there, and it has native interface and app performance. It writes pixels to the GL surface like a game engine, and it's the style and like the purpose of Flutter is to have like a code a a code once run everywhere, single code base type of approach, similar to how Java was meant to be, although Java was pretty heavy and still is really. So, Flutter is a solution that kind of does the same thing, but is also more true to the statement of code once run everywhere. And it also has, they built their own language it's called Dart to make this work. And, but the reason why this is important, the reason why Google and Ubuntu teaming up is a good thing for this case is because bringing Flutter apps to Linux is going to be very important if it isn't already which i'd argue probably already is because over 500,000 developers are using flutter to make software now we currently have published we have seen published 80,000 flutter apps on the google play store and that's there there's no signs of the momentum slowing down so flutter is a pretty important framework and the fact that it has performance that are it's much better than a lot of the other options like electron is a very good sign there too and also it is open source flutter as a framework is open source so there is that it's a bsd license in fact so if if you're worried about this i I understand because google is involved and google is not known for being good stewards of the community so i get that but at the same time it does have momentum it's already made it possible to build on Windows, Mac OS, Android, iOS, and now Linux. So this is quite good in my opinion. And Martin Wimpress from Canonical says that we are not choosing Flutter over any other existing framework or ecosystem. We see lots of momentum in the Flutter developer community. Around 80,000 Flutter apps have been published. And we want to invite those developers to bring their applications to desktop Linux and Ubuntu, just as we have done with GTK, Qt, and Electron in the past. Our objective here is to further close the application parity gap for desktop Linux users and broaden developer audience. This is fantastic because this is exactly what I, when I first saw this, was like, fantastic. This is great because Flutter is, as I said, very, very, very fast in getting momentum. Like, because Google's backing it, of course, but it's also gotten a lot of developers who are really excited about using it. So not having support to build applications and run them via flutter on linux would be bad so i applaud canonical and ubuntu for doing this because it is a very important thing and i appreciate them putting in this effort google said that canonical is making a significant investment in flutter and flutter by dedicating a team of developers to work alongside google's developers to bring the best flutter experience to the majority of linux distributions and they're going to be using gtk based host for the flutter apps Uh, on all the Linux distros and I don't really necessarily like the fact they're using gdk to do it but hey whatever I guess it kind of makes sense because uh, moving on so why is this better one it makes it easier for developers to bring apps to Linux because if they only have to write on one framework and run on Linux as well as the other things it makes it a lot easier to deal with having support for Linux because they don't have to do a, a bunch of extra steps just to do that that's fantastic and also it makes it possible for these small developer projects and small companies to create software on a tight budget and having the ability to use this framework to build out their suite of applications on multiple platforms is a very, very powerful thing. And it's one of those things that a lot of people have tried and it didn't really work out that well. Like Electron, for example, the intent of Electron was essentially that But Electron is essentially just a wrapper of Chromium that has some extra pieces that work on the desktop and work on native uh, platforms and stuff. So it's like it's still really mostly a Chromium browser, which, if you're not aware, Chromium is made by Google. And also Electron is owned by Microsoft because they bought GitHub and GitHub created Electron. So there's that part. So this is not like a different change. It's still Electron, still Google related, still, you know, whatever. But for the most part, I think that making this happen is a good thing overall. Let me know what you think in the comments below and I'll have links to all the different topics from Canonical and Google and everywhere I can find from like the register and whatnot in the show notes below. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. I am such a huge fan of Bitwarden. You can go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your free account. now. If you've never heard of Bitwarden, it is an open source password manager. That's right. Open source software password manager. If you don't know what a password manager is, well, think about the fact that when you go to these websites these days, there's thousands and thousands of them that you probably have accounts on. They all ask for you to create an account and they all want you to have different passwords. I mean, they don't really care if you have different passwords, but you should have different passwords for literally every website because you that's the best practices for security. And but how do you remember all those passwords, right? well a password manager is what i use and bitwarden is the password manager that i trust and recommend because it has all like all of the great features that i wanted from a password manager and even stuff i didn't think about like the ability to have a pin code so that i can log into my account with my main ridiculously crazy password but not have to put that in every single time. Instead, I use a pin code, and on each device I have a different pin code, so I can get into it very easily. And if I ever lose one of those devices, I can just remotely disconnect that device, and they wouldn't have enough time to get past the pin code. So there's no worry about having to say like saving that login because I have that convenient pin code to have that little bit of extra security just in case. It's and like I said, it's open source and it has a third party security audited and If you want to, you can even self-host Bitwarden, which is amazing. If you want to get started, you can get started for free. Create a free account by going to bitwarden.com slash DLN. And you have all these great features that I've already mentioned, but also you get extra features if you want to get the premium account. The extra features are one gigabyte of file storage, vault health reports, get support for YubiKey and other ways to more securely log in and get even more convenience. And it only costs $10.00 per year that's right per year not per month per year this is a ridiculously good price i didn't even need most of what the premium features were offering but i appreciated the fact that they did this so much that i just got an account or a premium account anyway So, because it's only $10 a year anyway. So you can go to bitwarden.com slash DLN and get started for free. But if you're like me and you appreciate this kind of service and doing it with the open source aspects, then you can get a premium account for only $10 per year. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring this week in Linux. Up next in the show is some great news from PinePhone. So Pine64 announced that the PinePhone... Convergence package is now available for pre-order. So it's a $199 package, and this gives you a new, more powerful PinePhone, gives you three gigabytes of RAM, 32 gigabytes of eMMC storage, which is twice as as much as the regular model. And not only that, a more powerful PinePhone, but it also gives you a USB-C dock, which is fantastic. So this dock has two USB ports, one HDMI out port, and one ethernet port, which is crazy i am so excited to try this out because it sounds fantastic and it's even capable of delivering power to the phone to the phone via the C power adapter that is built into this dock so this is really cool it also might not be a permanent option so if you're interested in this kind of thing go ahead and get the pre-order now because it may or may not be redone in the future they may just not keep doing the convergence package this may be a one-off thing They think that there's more likely that they will do it uh, periodically, but they needed to see if, like, you know, gauge uh, interest to see whether or not they're going to do it. They haven't confirmed since this announcement has happened yet. However, they did get the hug of death, which is when their website would not load for people because so many people wanted to go to it to purchase the package, and they couldn't because there were so many people trying to do it. Their servers just couldn't handle it, and it... That essentially crashed. And I also love the fact that they responded on Twitter with like, we tried, we did upgrade our servers, we promise, but it still didn't help. So maybe try tomorrow. <laughs> That's just a funny way of approaching it. But anyway, so... This convergence package, PinePhone, comes with PostmarketOS, and this is described as a sustainable, privacy and security-focused, free software mobile OS that is modeled after traditional Linux distributions with privilege separation in mind. It comes with—it's uh, actually—it's based on Alpine Linux, so that's a security-focused, ultra-lightweight Linux distro. And the PinePhone has the most well-supported on the PostmarketOS list. Uh, for the highest level support for devices, so that's great. Everything that is marked as yes includes support for USB net, touch support, Wi-Fi, audio, Bluetooth, GPS, mobile data, phone calls, SMS, and a lot more. There are some things that aren't working optimally, like the camera for example, it only partially works. And also U- USB OTG or, or on-the-go isn't working at the moment. could kind of bypass the on-the-go stuff with the dock, maybe. I don't know about that, but it'd be interesting anyway. But this is really cool because I am super excited that the fact that they... Like, they announced the PinePhone last year, roughly. And they said it was going to be early 2020 when we'd actually be able to get one. Then they did the Braveheart in January. Then they did the Community Edition for Ubuntu Touch with ports. And then they did this one with post OS, and it's already got an upgrade in the hardware. Like that's how fast they worked. They got a, like a developer Braveheart edition or whatever, enthusiast edition. And then they made the first community edition. And then they were like, well, we can make it even better. Let's make it better. And they make the three gigabyte RAM version with a dock and higher storage. I am super excited to check this one out because I was already interested in the buying phone anyway, but every time I went to buy one, it was always, it, I missed the pre-order windows uh, because I tried to tell people about it before I, you know, I don't want to selfishly go out and just get it. So I try to tell people about it on, you know, tweets and here, and then, then I go get it. And every time that has backfired massively. So hopefully that doesn't happen this time. Up next in the show is Mobian, a mobile OS based on Debian. This aims to integrate standard Debian with the Phone Shell Fosh project. And this is the Phone Shell made by Purism based on GNOME's technology like GDK, G Settings, and Dbus running on WL Roots based on Wayland Compositor called FOC. WL Roots is a separate thing, not GNOME technology. But anyway, the whole thing is based on the, that stack, sort of. And this is. Interesting because the Mobian operating system is currently only available on the PinePhone, which means you can have options to run Fosh on a PinePhone, like, for example, Mobian, Postmarked OS. I think it's kind of funny that the PinePhone has support for the thing that Purism has made, and Purism still has not shipped their phone. Anyways, let's not get into that. Massive disappointment and move on and talk about the compatibility of the applications on Mobian. So compatibility of a lot of apps are being worked on and they give it a rank of like one to five scale to uh, completely borked to fully optimized. So things that are having a a rank five is the fundamentals like the phone app for calls, uh, SMS app. They even have Matrix messaging app, uh, torrents app. Uh, video and audio download application web browser internet radio software network testing like a lot of stuff actually has support for that full fully optimized ranking but also there's some things that have like slightly less uh, but like firefox esr has support uh, in the rank 4 maps support is rank 4 mpv is rank 4 and a bunch of other things Uh, but I think it's really cool that they're doing this because I like the idea. I just, I'm just a huge fan of the idea of a Linux powered phone. And I know that some people would argue that fragmentation is not necessarily a good thing. And I agree, but also it creates innovation. So there's another aspect where it can be a good thing. And Mobian looks like it's trying to be an innovative project where it is using Debian as the base to have like full blown Linux operating system inside of the phone experience so like similar to how postmarketOS OS is doing it so um, but on a different base but it's it's really interesting and I look forward to seeing like what happens with Mobian and if you are interested in checking out Mobian I'll have links in the show notes below to the Mobian.org website and also some other write-ups for it like for example there was a really interesting discussion on Reddit about it so I have links to that as well. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get started with this for as low as $5 per month and get access to their world-class customer support as well as their 2,000 over 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials at this point and it'll help you keep up to date with the latest open source software languages and frameworks and these are cloud agnostic but also platform agnostic so you can find some tutorials on their website that will help you on your desktop Linux or on your server Linux all sorts of great stuff there and you can get started not only with that $5 a month, but you can actually get started for free because they are a sponsor of the Destination Linux Network and This Week in Linux. So you can go to do.co slash DLN to get $100 free credit. That is a $100 that you could use for two months. And that allows you to have a, a bunch of like over a dozen like small droplets that are all the $5 droplets if you want to or you could do the gigantic ridiculous $50 droplets or something and have like just see how far you can stretch the 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 infrastructure which is pretty far, because the DigitalOcean's infrastructure is very robust and also super fast, so you can do all kinds of stuff with it. It is awesome. The DLN forum is powered by DigitalOcean. So much of DLN in general is powered by DigitalOcean. We have infrastructures for our NextCloud, our Code all of that stuff is powered by DigitalOcean because DigitalOcean is so awesome. And you can have your stuff powered by DigitalOcean through a droplet if you'd like to, including a Minecraft server. You can run Jitsi, and they even have one-click installs Make it super easy to do that. All you got to do is go to do.co/dln and sign up and get that one hundred dollar free credit. And again, thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week in Linux. Up next in the show is some more great news related to Endeavor OS. So Endeavor OS has released their first anniversary edition, and this is awesome because it means just a little bit over a year ago. The Intergos community had a new home in Endeavor OS because, if you weren't aware, Intergos was a really popular distribution based on Arch that was around for about seven to eight years or so. But they decided to uh, close the, dip, the project and, and end the distribution. And instead of having that go away, there's a lot of develop- a lot of community members decided to pick up the reins and move on and make their own distribution based on that, like a successor to it, and also to improve a lot of the things that Intergos didn't do as well. And I think they were successful in that. I think Endeavor OS is a better Entergos, which is fantastic. So if you like to learn more about the history of Endeavor OS, check out previous episodes of This Week in Linux where we talked about like the what was happening with Interagos and also my involvement with Entergos. Cause if you were not aware, I used to be one of the community managers of uh, community managers of intergos and uh i'm really happy to see what endeavor was doing because they basically fixed the things that intergos didn't fix you know that's awesome i love that you know if, if you're going to be a successor also try to make it better and that's all and that's what they did so in this latest release july release for the first and adi- uh, first ad- anniversary edition They have slimmed down and made the welcome app easier to understand. They've done some package cleanup and the configuration. They say a handy tool to set the system to clean up the uh, pack hash History of installed packages and reduce it to the last three versions of each installed package after an update This prevents your root partition from getting clogged up with packages that you don't need Which is fantastic and a very very nice thing to have so you can actually clean it up automatically And they even have this uh, value to have those multiple packages like why would you need three anyway? It allows you to revert packages if you need to which is cool uh, they've also improved the thing with having Arch kernel management, or AKM, install several kernel versions and their headers from the Arch repository with a simple click. Very, very cool. And they even did a thing called Personal Commands. It's a calibration or collaboration tool intended for users who already know how to create scripts and lets you create a button for a customized script in the Welcome app using YAD, or Yet Another Dialog you can share your customized scripts and buttons uh, buttons with the community for other people to try it out and another thing that's really cool about endeavor os is they announced that an arm edition is coming which is very interesting and they say it's coming very very soon so i am very excited about that and to see what they're going to be able to do with an arm based architecture with Endeavor OS so if you want to learn more about Endeavor OS and their latest release I'll have links to the episode I talked about them previously well actually every episode I talked about them previously because I've talked about them multiple times and uh and also these latest blog posts that they have about their first anniversary edition all of those links will be in the show notes below up next in the show is some really interesting news from the MX Linux team. So, they have made a KDE Plasma edition of MX Linux. So, MX Linux 19.2 introduces KDE in beta for their advanced hardware support branch. Now, this is for 64 bit only users because the AHS is 64 bit only. It offers live bootable so that you can try it out without having to install it. And this is really, really cool because it's KDE Plasma is my favorite desktop environment. I've I've made that clear many cases, uh, but this is really cool that they're adding it to their distribution because I think MX Linux is one of the best Debian based distributions that it's like pure, very close to Debian, not necessarily pure because that's you know subjective terminology, but they're very, very close to Debian. And I think it's probably one of the best that is, is close in that sense. And MX Linux is quite good, and they have a lot of cool custom features and tools that they make, like they make their own snapshotting tools and all kinds of stuff. But anyway, so having the KDE Plasma desktop on MX Linux is really, really interesting. However, I do have to say that the version that they are using is the one from Debian. And unfortunately, Debian's version of KDE Plasma is super, 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 super old. And I use that many supers because that's how old it is. So we have the current version of KDE Plasma, which is 5.19.3, and the version on Debian's stack is 5.14.5. So it's five versions, five major versions out of date and about 15 to 20 minor version releases and stuff out of date. So while I am super excited that MX Linux is actually putting in the effort to make a Plasma edition, there's some things if you if you want to use this, just know it is not going to be the latest and greatest Plasma because, well, Debian doesn't have the latest and greatest Plasma. Even if you try to go into Sid and like the unstable branch, it's five point seventeen there, so it's still not going to be the latest and greatest no matter what. Uh, but I still want to say that I I applaud them for making this because I do like MX Linux. I also really like Plasma. And if you don't mind about having the latest and greatest features in Plasma and you just want the the value of Plasma in general with the combination of the value of MX Linux, then this is fantastic for you. So if you'd like to learn more and get links to the blog posts and downloads, I'll have links to all that in the show notes below. Up next in the show is some news about Bounty Source and why it's become awful. So, <laughs> or I guess technically they reverted it. We'll get to that in a second. So bounty source is a way for projects to get money that is donated to create certain features in a project. And once that project has that feature has been completed, then the bounty is given to those projects. It's a cool concept, however. Bounty Source has been purchased by a company who decided to change some things about its terms of service. They have since reverted this decision because they found out how massive that backlash would be and blew up in their face almost immediately. So they have reverted this decision. However, how long have they reverted this? And how long will it it take before they're like, oh, is the waters calm now? Let's do it again. You know, what are the odds? The fact that they thought this was good in the first place means that there's a potential in the future that they'll still do something ridiculous like this. So, again, consider abandoning B- Bounty Source. Now, here's what they did. So, Bounty Source introduced a bounty timeout clause in their terms of service. And I quote, from their terms of service, it said, if no solution is accepted within two years after a bounty is posted, then the bounty will be withdrawn and the amount posted for the bounty will be retained by bounty source. For bounties posted before June 30th, 2018, the backer may redeploy their bounty to a new issue by contacting support at BountySource.com before July 1st, 2020, if the backer does not redeploy their bounty by the deadline. The bounty will be withdrawn and the amount posted for the bounty will be retained by BountySource. So essentially what that is saying is, you snooze, you lose, and we take your money. That's what Bounty Source is saying in their terms of service. Now, this has been reverted because this had a big backlash by developers like Nextcloud, SyncThing, and Elementary OS, and a bunch of other places had a lot to say about this. So they did kind of backtrack this thing. But again, that doesn't necessarily mean that they won't do it again. So, uh, there's also another quote about it that says uh, you're receiving this because we updated our terms of service withdrawal of new terms of service yesterday we communicated a change the bounty source terms of service agreement these changes have been withdrawn and the terms of service reverted to its previous state the terms of service will be revised and clarified in the future which means they're going to do it again at some point or change the wording or whatever to accomplish the goal that they wanted to and hopefully this time it doesn't backfire that's essentially what they're trying to say so it feels like a message like oh no you called us we better try that again later with, with better phrasing yeah so whatever i highly suggest getting away from bounty source because this is not something that is reasonable action from this kind of company and also this is still there uh, they have another clause in their terms of service that says bounties are not refundable so if you did do it, they're implying that you can't get the money back anyway. So I suggest trying to get a refund just in case. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. I've, maybe they won't. Maybe they won't. I've seen some people say that they have gotten refunds and other people saying they haven't. So I don't know. Give it a shot. And also, projects consider getting away from Bounty Source. And something you should definitely keep using is the Tux Digital YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, that's not a very good segue. But hey, if you're listening to this show via the MP3 podcast feed, I want to let you know two things. One, there's a video version of this show that shows things like the things that I'm talking about as demonstrations of different things about like the websites that are referring to, maybe even photos of the products and devices that I'm talking about when I do talk about those kinds of things, as well as has me on the video. I'm not sure if that's a positive thing or a negative thing for the content, but it is a thing nonetheless. I have started also making more content on the channel, so if you are not aware of that, then you should definitely check it out because there's a lot of great videos that I've been posting recently and will be continuing to post as many as possible coming up. I'm trying to crank out even more like pace-wise than I have already, but I've made quite a few recently. One of those was a Linux Mint versus Snaps video and also a clip from the Destination Linux episode that we talked about how some people are not willing to blame Windows even though they know Windows is terrible, which I just find is interesting. And I also made made a new video recently related to explaining the different types of distro bases like a derivative versus independent or a fork or a flavor versus a remix and a respin and that sort of stuff. And if you're interested in that, then be sure to check out my YouTube channel, which I'll have a linked in the show notes below. If you are listening to the podcast app, it's in the podcast thing, or, you know, if you're watching the video, you've already aware of the YouTube channel. So continue watching then. And if you'd like to help make this show possible, then consider becoming a patron of Tux Digital. By becoming a patron, you are directly helping me finance the creation of this show and all the other content on this channel that I'm making. You also get special rewards like joining me in a patron's live chat, as well as being able to vote on different content that I'm gonna be doing in the future and a bunch of other stuff, and be able to join me in a new thing that I'm gonna be trying out, which will be some live conversations on Discord and that sort of stuff. So consider doing that, becoming a patron of tux digital and i would like to thank all the 85 patrons of tux digital right now because that is it's so awesome that you helped make this possible to make all this content so thank you very very much it is amazing that so many people take it out of their time to contribute to this channel and to this show to make it possible for me to make this show i appreciate it so much i can't express it how much i appreciate it it is just amazing thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you have you heard of the destination linux network well, if not, that means I'm not doing my job very well and I need to let you know about it. So Destination Linux Network is the network that the This Week in Linux podcast is a part of. This is also a network that I helped co-found and it is a fantastic network, slightly biased there, I admit, because I also was a co-founder of it, but at the same time, it is fantastic because there's so many great podcasts, so many great YouTube channels that create so much content in addition to other things like front page Linux, which we'll talk about in a minute, but Destination Linux, is is a fantastic network and a fantastic community that you can join and have conversations with so many great people that are related to, that are in this community. And I'll even tell you about more of that stuff in the front page Linux section next but there's so much great content on there. I even have three podcasts on the network. One is this one. I also have the Destination Linux podcast, as well as Hardware Addicts, where we talk about hard, computer hardware, like enthusiast stuff, like CPUs, GPUs, and that sort of th- stuff. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, then be sure to check those out by going to destinationlinux.network and clicking on the Shows section. And also there, you'll see some new podcast, a new podcast and some new changes to D- DLN Extend. So first of all, The new podcast is Pseudo Show. It's about enterprise tech, enterprise open source, cloud management, and a lot of other stuff that is over my head. That's why we have hosts that are working in that field and know what they're talking about. So check out the pseudo show if you're interested in that sort of topic. And also check out DLN Extend because there's a lot of changes happening on that podcast. And the the actual the vibe of the podcast has changed because we have two new hosts on the show, as well as the direction that they're going is pretty interesting to me because it's kind of turned it into a community powered podcast. So all the topics that come up on the show are somewhat related to the Discord server. Does this course forum the the Telegram group, the Matrix room, and any kinds of things where they find really interesting conversations where they have with the community members and they turned it into a podcast that they talk about these things in much more depth. And I think that is a fantastic idea. And if you do too, check out DL and Extend and you can find a link on destinationlinux.network as well as all the other great content there. And up next, and the final thing in housekeeping is front page Linux. Like I talked about, have you heard of front page Linux? If you haven't, FrontpageLinux.com is awesome because you need you totally need to check it out. It's a great new website that we at the Destination Linux Network has launched to provide news stories, articles, tutorials, video tutorials, whatever, tutorials, videos, and so much more. Uh, FrontPageLinux.com is also an awesome website because anyone can submit content to it and perhaps have it featured on the website. It's like a news tutorial article site that has the open source philosophy built into the ingredients of the recipe for the website so I think it's awesome and many cool people from the community have already started submitting to front page Linux like Eric Londo's Linux++ web magazine I don't know if that's a thing webazine is that a thing I don't know but it's a really cool article column that he does once a week that is just amazing you got to check it out and also Mauro Gaspari has published some great Linux audio articles about how to easily install jack audio and what you can do with pulse audio and pulse effects as well as he's working on some even more articles for the front page Linux. So if you want to participate in that, you can. And you can also check out some articles that I recently wrote about the PinePhone, the three gigabyte RAM, a convergence package PinePhone that is just super cool. I wrote an article about that as well as an interesting topic about popularity contest package inside of Ubuntu being removed and how a lot of people are promoting that. It's like some tracking thing. And it's not because it's disabled by default and it doesn't really matter. And people are freaking out over nothing. So check out that article if you'd like to learn more about that but frontpagelinux.com is a fantastic website and you should absolutely check it out and another thing about it is that i i mentioned earlier that i love the fact that the Linux community is so awesome and one of the reasons is awesome is an as a community member decided to create an android application for front page linux so you can go to the google play store and install this application and look at FrontPage linux through that app it's very cool i, I just it's I'm so amazed by that kind of thing. Uh, The DLN community is awesome. So, thank you, Michael Stagg, for making that Android app. It's fantastic. And yeah, if you'd like to learn more about Front Page Linux and all these things I've talked about, I'll have links to all that stuff in the description and the show notes below. Up next in the show is LibreOffice 7.0 Personal Edition Branding. We actually have quite a few branding topics to cover which is not something that normally happens on this show. Although I am actually a branding person. I'm in marketing and I'm also a designer. So branding is a thing that I do as a day-to-day thing. So LibreOffice 7.0 Personal Edition has been leaked in terms of like the tagline or the branch name or whatever. So there was some confusion about what this was happening and there's community speculation and all kinds of stuff. So the Document Foundation Board of Directors responded and they say that, let us provide a further clarification. None of the changes being evaluated will affect the license, the availability, the permitted uses, or the functionality. LibreOffice will always be free software and nothing is changing for end users, developers, and community members. There will be a coming personal edition, though. So this is interesting to see what happens. But they say that... Uh, they apologized if they if this caused some p- some people to think that this change was unilateral. They also assured that the consultation with the community is still ongoing. This personal edition tagline is this is a quote. This personal edition tagline is part of a wider five year marketing plan that we are preparing, and it has the pr- the purpose of differentiating the current free and community supported LibreOffice from LibreOffice Enterprise set of products and services provided by the members of our ecosystem. The marketing plan is still under development and discussions, so we are eager to receive and evaluate your feedback. They're now evaluating this Personal Edition branding if any LibreOffice ecosystem partners want to begin offering any enterprise versions of the Office suite with paid support or services and that kind of thing. But they say that the LibreOffice that everyone currently knows will be called LibreOffice Personal Edition, and that's where that comes from. I think this is kind of weird because they're making it they're they're not making a LibreOffice Enterprise Edition. They're making it possible for third-party partners to make enterprise editions with the brand of LibreOffice. Man, that's going to get confusing. If there are multiple LibreOffice Enterprise Editions made by different companies, which is what they're implying based on the blog post that I read well maybe just based on my understanding of what they're saying i could be wrong but based on what i interpreted it is that they're going to have multiple LibreOffice enterprise editions from various different companies that will have their own support now i get offering partners to be able to support it as a service but to have multiple enterprise editions seems a very bad idea so hopefully i'm wrong about that but that's what it seems like they're doing so Maybe they could clarify that if they like, but the personal edition not necessarily a bad thing. The enterprise edition not necessarily a bad thing. There it needs to be ways for open source projects to make money, like financial value in the project, so they can continue to make the open source software. So I understand that as a part, and I'm I, I'm for the commercialization of open source because, by the way, open source software doesn't mean non-commercial. It means that it's free open source access and collaboration and all that stuff, but you can also have commercialism on top of it, which I think is totally fine. Uh, Just the way they worded this seems a little weird because if there's multiple enterprise editions of LibreOffice, that will end very badly. Please don't do that. So hopefully I'm wrong about that, but if I'm not, please don't do that. Up next in the show is Riot.im has renamed their application and their company to Element. So this is good that they have renamed it. It's not that good of a name to rename to, but I'll get to more details about that later. So first of all, they now have the old three names structure under one name, which is good. Fantastic, consolidation of branding is good. The Riot app is now called Element. The new Vector, which is the company behind making Riot, is now called Element. And Modular, the flagship Matrix hosting service, is now called Element Matrix Services. So that's good because Matrix is the protocol and Element is the company that provides services around it and also makes the app around it. And also, I'm pretty sure makes Matrix anyway, but you know, there's whatever. So they say that Element lets you own your own end to end encrypted chat server while still connecting to everyone else in the wider Matrix network. Riot X was the Android app that was in beta, is now out of beta, and is going to be renamed to Element. So they are doing a lot of work to consolidate this stuff, and I think that it's fantastic. They do need to because Riot was a bad name. So they gave reasons of why they thought it was a bad name, and here's what they were. They said that we've had major issues with a certain gigantic games company which has blocked us from being able to trademark Riot or even Riot.im. Riot Games is what they're talking about. Anyway, back to the quote. A huge issue when it comes to defending users against abusive forks of the app. Fair enough, that is true. That is necessary because people will do that. Secondly, people will incorrectly assume riot refers to violence rather than the more constructive form of chaos we had in mind. There's a reason for that because you use the word riot. The definition of riot includes the word violence. So the reason is because it's what you named it. It's good that you changed it, but yeah, the interpretation you were trying for by naming it Riot was misguided. You were trying to name something based on your interpretation rather than the broad interpretation, and that is not a good way of doing it. Now let's move on to what you've changed it to. So they say it made sense in the early days of Matrix to have different brands to illustrate the different roles of Riot, Modular, and New Vector in the ecosystem. No, it didn't. But nowadays, there's a loads of Matrix clients, Matrix hosting providers, and companies building on Matrix. And so all New Vector's different names were just causing confusion. They always were doing that. You could even say it was like a form of chaos. That it, you know, Anyway, so they say... Here's why they say they made the new name. We also wanted a name that better evokes the idea of data ownership and self-sovereignty. Okay. An element is the smallest indivisible thing in a system, yet one which can stand alone. You can customize it, control it, and make it your own. You can literally be in your element. This is another interpretation of something that you're wanting it to mean that it's it doesn't have that meaning. It's not a bad name, though. To be clear, the name Element isn't a bad name. I mean, Honda used it to make a car, so it's not a bad name necessarily. But it isn't at all descriptive of what it is. It doesn't tell people... Like, you don't even have Element.im anymore. You have Element.io. So it's not even clear with the I.M. part for Instant Messenger, which is what people sort of connect that to. But... It doesn't have that now. An element doesn't convey anything of what it's supposed to be. Just like Matrix doesn't convey communications protocol or whatever. It's not a bad name. I just want to make it clear. It's not a bad name. It's just not a name that conveys anything that they wanted to convey. It's just a name. But it's better than Riot. So I will give you that. They say it turns out the hardest bit of end-to-end encryption are almost entirely UX challenges. Presenting a global decentralized communication network as simply as a centralized communication island is surprisingly tricky. Well, if you start with multiple different brands making it confusing, it's definitely going to be tricky. They have a single-minded mission to make Element the most elegant and usable mainstream communications app imaginable. In order to get a communications app mainstream, you have to make it simplistic. You're working on that with the terms of making everything called Element. That's good but the reason why telegram for example works is because the word telegram is a communications tool based on you know the the way of old-timey usage of communication that's why they picked it that's why it works because it does imply communication element doesn't so there you go will it be the best i don't know technologically speaking i think element is quite good i think matrix is a great protocol There's a lot of cool features on it. It does have a little bit of a barrier to entry though. So there is that you need to work on that. Once you have it really easy to sign up and get started, that is when element and matrix will take off. And also the fact that I have to say element and matrix, because you have to create a matrix account in order to use element. That's not good. Uh, Fix that too. So yeah, anyway, moving on. This is fantastic. I'm glad that you changed the name from Riot to anything else. Well, not anything, but this is way better. Um, but still need a little bit more consolidation and making it easier to use and get started. So there's that. Anyway, moving on. Next topic. Um, next in the show is, w- well, really interesting. It's Gen 2 on Android. Like, um, okay. Now I've, I've messed with stuff and I've flashed some different... Uh, Android ROMs on some different phones and I've also used Ubuntu Touch. So I do like the concept of mobile Linux. This one is interesting because this is Project Android for Gentoo and it's a 64-bit release of the stage three Android Prefix Tarball. I think there actually is a 32-bit version too, but you know anyway. They've been working on this for like two two and a half years or so and they say that their objective is This project is about bringing Gentoo users and developers home to their mobile devices. It aims to produce an environment indifferent to that of the desktop and computers. It strives to liberate the computers in our pockets with Gentoo philosophy and style as an ultimate response to the Free Software Foundation's FSF concerns on the freedom for mobile computing. Now, it doesn't replace Android. It requires Android to boot. So it's kind of like running Gen 2 inside of Android through a true root system. This is pretty interesting. And to see a desktop, you'll use like a VNC on the Android uh, device, uh, or you can use a remote machine. I assume for because it's using VNC, uh, and it's it's a pretty interesting thing. I don't know how how like useful this is, but it's kind of cool that it even exists because it's not it's not something I ever would have expected it to. So uh, if you're interested in running Gentoo on your Android device, then there you go. Now you can. If you want to learn more about this, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. And the last topic we're going to cover this week is some affiliate links that help this show news with humble bundles, because there's a lot of them. We talked about the Python programming with PyCharm bundle last episode, but it's still around for about a day left now, so be sure to, if you're interested, go check it out because it's really cool. You get a lot of great stuff in this package. They say it's everything you need to learn Python programming and make it stick. Get learning materials like PyCharm six-month subscription, Python for data scientists course, Effective Pandas manipulate structured data with Python, Effective Pandas, interesting name, data-driven web apps with Flask and SQL Alchemy. That's a fun name too, SQL Alchemy. And now there's a lot of other stuff. It's got Python for beginners, Python tricks for pick tricks videos, uh, up to six month subscription for PyCharm. Like I said, Uh, it really, really cool. And if you want to have links, I'm links in the show notes. Every link that I that are in the show notes related to Humble Bundle for this episode are affiliate links. So if you decide to purchase something from these bundles, please use those links because it does give a small percentage back to this show and the Tux Digital Channel. And I very much appreciate that if you were willing to do that because it helps me a ton. It's not that much each individual time, but it adds up and it's fantastic. Any kind of contribution, any way you can help make this show possible is amazing to me. So if you don't mind, please use those links. Next up is the Raspberry Pi bundle because they have the Raspberry Pi by Raspberry Pi Press bundle. Bring your programming dreams to life with a Raspberry Pi and a Raspberry Pi Press book bundle featuring books like Build a 4K Digital Media Hub, the Magpie number 87, the official Raspberry Pi Projects book. Book, uh, Book of Making, Volume 1, the official Raspberry Pi Beginner's Guide, 3rd edition, build a retro games console with the Magpie 95th 5th edition, and more. Now, I think that's an issue. Magpie is a magazine, so that's a 95 issue, not edition. But anyway, very, very cool. I, I, the Raspberry Pi stuff is a super powerful... Uh, it's not a super powerful device. It's a super powerful experience because you can do so many things with it. And it's it's just also very cheap to get into, into doing it. So it's a it's a good entry point. You can even learn Python with it. So there's that. And if you want to get check that out, I'll have a link for that bundle in the links below. So the next book bundle is programming for makers by make co. Learn how to program the makers way with the ebook bundles that gives you books like making makers. AVR Programming, Make, Arduino, uh, make colon, Arduino bots and gadgets, and also Linux for makers, and a bunch of other ones. There's also, there's a lot of bundles this with this episode. So (laughs) the next book bundle is Data Science Essentials by Taylor and Francis. I don't think there's much time left for this one either. No, I don't know. I don't remember, but not that much time left. And this one has, um, this has da- books like Frontiers in Data Science, Testing Our Code, The Essentials of Data Science, Implementing Reproducible Research, and more. Now we're going to jump into the gaming section for the Humble Bundle. We have the Summer Adventure Games Bundle. They're partnering with JDRF to bring the newest bundle that is the Heaven's Vault. It has Heaven's Vault in it. it. has Batman the Telltale series and Oxenfree. It also has some Walking Dead games and a bunch of other things. I've checked... Everything that I checked, actually I think everything, maybe there's like some DLCs that might not work that well, but everything is either works on Linux natively or through Proton at a level rating of, of Platinum or Gold, which is fantastic. That means most of these games, if not all of them, will be available through that method, which is cool. And the next bundle has a lot of native games because it's Warhammer bundle, and Warhammer, Warhammer has Linux support. So if you're interested in in this kind of stuff, Warhammer 40,000 Space Marine Collection, Warhammer 40,000 Dawn of War 3 are 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 supported in this bundle. Also Blood Bowl, Blood Bowl Two Legendary. That's a that's a lot to say, and that's a, that's also available. And also by do, purchasing this bundle, you also get you support the special effect charity and also another charity of your choice. And hum, humble game creator bundle is another thing. This is the last bundle man that's a lot so the game creator bundle is make your own games with their newest bundle get software like 001 game creator pixel mash omega modern graphics pack station train station game assets dragon's den resource pack and more things like there's a lot of stuff and it also this is cool because it supports multiple charities like extra life and child's play so that's really cool uh, one of the things I love about Humble Bundle is that all of their when you purchase something through Humble Bundle, it automatically gives some of that percentage to charities, and I think that is amazing that they do that. So you get not only are you getting some great games or books, you're also benefiting charity. And if you use the links below, you're benefiting this show, which is just everything of awesome. So, anyway, if you'd like to learn learn more and you know check out any of these bundles, I will have a link to all of them in the show notes below thanks for watching this episode of this week in linux if you like what i do here on the show please consider liking that smash button and be sure to subscribe and ring the bell so you can get notified of new episodes of the show as well as new content on this channel, and if you'd like to support this channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via Patreon, sponsors, PayPal, and many more. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com/contribute, or you can order the Linux is Everywhere T-shirt by going to destinationlinux.network/store. And this is a shirt that I'm currently wearing. If you're watching the video podcast, and also it's a shirt that I designed to convey the message that whether or not you know that Linux is there, it probably is. It has Tux blended into the background to convey that message. And I think it is a fantastic shirt. I'm a little bit biased because I did design it. But I still think it's fantastic. So if you want to check that out and get that shirt, you can go to destinationlinux.network slash store. And we also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com/slash affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux as I'm a co-host of that show. And this is a fantastic podcast. We have been doing a lot of cool changes in the latest episode you don't want to miss it if you've never checked it out before it is a great time to do so and if you have but you haven't checked out the latest episodes you need to go and check them out because they are awesome and i know that's again a little bit biased but it is true as well so there's that thanks again for watching i'm michael Tanell with tux digital on the destination linux network and as always keep using learning and enjoying linux